1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. As the world awaits the arrival of the royal baby, we discuss finding an investment strategy for your child that's fit for a prince or princess. Women are better at saving than men, according to the latest ISIS statistics this week. But are they better at investing? Dame Helena Morrissey, one of the UK's highest profile investors, who also happens to be a woman, joins me to discuss. And inside the UK's debt crisis, after the FT's special report last week, where I spent a day inside one of the UK's biggest debt helplines, many readers got in touch to say how shocked they were at the way those with problem debts are being treated. We ask, what more can be done? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's news much cash has been splashed ahead of the imminent arrival of the seventh in line to the throne. Now, the celebrity pals of the Duchess of Sussex, formerly known as Meghan Markle, reportedly spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on her baby shower in New York. And when the royal baby eventually makes him or herself known in the coming days, I'm sure lavish presents will be exchanged. But here at FT Money, we prefer to splash our cash in a tax efficient manner by setting up a junior ISA or even a stakeholder pension for our youngest subjects. And here to discuss what parents should consider is Michael Martin, Relationship Manager from Seven Investment Management. Welcome, Michael. Hello. So let's start with junior ISAs. Do they take the royal crown?
2: Well, in this case, I think it's a very good idea for them to start a junior ISA. I think generally people are questioning what ISAs they should be paying money into. And it's certainly become a very complicated issue, ISAs in general. When I first started giving advice, we used to have peps, tessas, Toys, Ises, you know mini and maxi ISAs, It was quite a complicated subject. Then it became incredibly straightforward for many years. ISAs were really easy. Now they've opened up again and they've become a quite a complicated issue. So people are saying, which Isis should I go into? For a, a, a newborn child, I think a junior ISA is a very good tax-efficient savings plan. You pay 4368 pounds a year. It grows tax-efficiently. The bad side is, unfortunately, they get their hands on their money when they're 18. But there's nothing you can do with You can't that.
1: take anything out before then, either.
2: Yes, so it's, it's, it's locked away, but it's, but it's there for the kids to be able to splurge whenever they want. But that's, that's not often a, a bad thing. I think it's quite a good idea to give some children money commensurate to the amount of money they might inherit to see what they do with it. You know, Harry had his issues in his 20s, but he he's become a very sensible and... Upstanding uh, person now, so you know w- when you when they get their money at eighteen, it might be interesting to see what they do with that money.
1: Will they you know. choose to put it into an adult stock exactly? Shares, yes,
2: and you could recycle it into another ISA, a lifetime ISA, or help to buy ISA or something else, and try and you know get some more tax efficiency from it, perhaps.
1: Now, one um, royally good tip um, that I mentioned in the column I wrote about this is that when children are um, sixteen and seventeen, they actually get another ISA allowance, meaning that if parents trust them with yes. the money that will be coming their way when they're 18 they can pay in a bit more
2: exactly you get your double iso allowance in your 60s and 17 you get the junior ISA and your adult iso but the adult ISA has to be a cash ISA. but then you put in a cash ISA for two years and then make a stocks and shares ISA. so it's a very good way of saving for the kids you know making up for lost time possibly in the last couple of years before they become 18.
1: And that could add up to 40,000 to their pot at exactly. current rates. Now if a baby has wealthy grandparents or even great-grandparents, as the royal baby will have, another popular choice would be to set up a stakeholder pension. But how do those work?
2: So they can pay uh, 2880 into a, a stakeholder each year, which will then get grossed up to £3,600.
1: So even a baby can get tax relief?
2: Even a baby can get 20% tax relief. The question is whether or not that, that's the best thing for any child in particular. This child perhaps because they may very well go into the army. And they might have a final salary scheme in the army, which may cause them a potential lifetime allowance issue if they've been paying into the stakeholder while they're young. And the power of compounding, which, as we know, is the eighth wonder of the world, that may cause issues for them. So they've got to work out. If you're going to be fairly wealthy, you're going to get a private education. Where are you going to end up working? Because you don't want to leave a pension scheme, which is so generous, just because your grandparents happened to have given you an ISA. Oh, sorry, a, a stakeholder when you were young.
1: Yes, a rich people's problem, if, um, if ever I heard <laughs> It <one. definitely> is. <laughs> And then, finally, if the carriage of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were to tiff up outside 7IM's offices in the city, you would also recommend that the royal couple take some specialist tax advice?
2: Yes, they sh- because the, the child is going to be a US citizen when they're born because of uh, Meghan. You know, a lot of she people, is a U.S. Citizen. she is a U.S. citizen, and automatically the child gets U.S. citizenship upon upon uh, when they were born when they're born, which means they will have tax implications through the rest of their life. The child could give that up at 18, but the U.S. tax authorities aren't particularly keen on giving up your citizenship because it's it's such a golden um, ticket to the world. Why would you not want to be a U.S. citizen if you give it up? It does cause implications in the future. I think the royal family would be okay. I think if, if they made a big issue, out of it, it'd it be slightly embarrassing. But it's something to worry about, because ISIS, particularly for US citizens, are the worst things. The iOS look at them and say, okay, you're paying £20,000, you take out £20,000, we don't care that you've made no money, we're still going to tax you 35%. So- and
1: that's because they, they see that money as income, yes. whereas... Yes. Ordinarily, in the UK, anything that you pay into and then take out of a nicer is tax-free. Exactly, you don't accounts. The,
2: the other thing, as well, about that is I've heard different views from different US tax advisors as well. So that's the thing about the IRS; they're not. They even, even they, they avoid questions even more than HMRC. You know, if you ask them a direct question, they won't answer it. So it's very difficult to get US tax advice because it depends on where you are, where you're, where you are in the UK, in the US, who your tax advisor is. It's a complicated world, but I think, I think it's something they should probably deal with quite early if they can.
1: Well, it certainly makes junior ISAs look like cream cheese. Well, thank you very much there to Michael Martin. You can read my column, Right Royal Investment Strategy for Your Child, which also has some tips about what sort of things to put in the junior icer. That's online now at ft.com slash money. Women are better at saving, according to the latest HMRC statistics, over 55 million women subscribed to an ISA, the tax-free individual savings account, in the last year, outstripping 5.1 million men who did so. But women were far more likely to park their savings inside a cash ISA, where interest rates have of course been miserly, rather than stocks and shares ISA, where taking on some investment risk can dramatically boost their returns over time. Dame Helena Morrissey, Head of Personal Investing at Legal & General, joins us in the studio today. Welcome, Helena. Thank you. So what do you make of this week's stats?
3: Well, I'm afraid it's nothing new. Um, It's quite disappointing in the sense that we know a lot about the gender pay gap. But what the data shows again is that we have a gender investment gap as well, that women, as you say, are good at saving. Um, Actually, if they do invest, they're pretty good at it. Uh, The data suggests that once we get going, we can outstrip the men on on the returns too. But unfortunately, too few of us actually uh, invest in the stocks and shares ISA and therefore allow our money to grow. And it is a shame. there have been very many uh, analyses showing that women tend to be much less confident about investing um, sometimes that's a good thing because it means that we don't take such big risks and also we tend not to trade as much as men and studies in both the UK And my favourite one actually in the States, which was beautifully entitled Boys Will Be Boys, Gender, Overconfidence and Common Stock Investment, Mm -hmm. shows that because men overtrade, women tend to um, achieve quite significantly higher returns. So it's just a question, how do we get women actually to get started? So what do you think is putting
1: women off investing? I mean, your own house, LNG, has Mm -hmm. done some research on this um, in partnership with Mumsnet, which was quite revealing.
3: Yeah, so it showed that a lot of um, people said they didn't, a lot of women felt they didn't have the wherewithal to invest. About 40% said so they wanted to invest but didn't have enough money. But even those who did have enough money or felt that they did were really unsure about how to get started. And I think a lot of the problem, the financial industry, the investment industry has tended to sort of build it and they will come, um, have an approach like that and expect that women who may not historically have felt comfortable investing just will suddenly see the light and do something very rational a bit like looking after your physical health but actually of course it can be very nerve-wracking taking that first step and I think a lot of firms either act in a somewhat you know condescending way in terms of writing to us on pink note paper or Mm. something like that (laughs) um, or use jargon or just assume that actually women aren't that interested um, and might delegate it as we often do to our male partners Um, I think we need to be quite subtle and nuanced about how we approach this issue. I think women often just don't want to be sold to. Mm. They certainly don't want to be. I mean, I don't want to be condescended to. I think about, well, what would I respond well to? And I respond very well to very um, direct, very honest, um, any kind of literature that would just explain as well, help me to understand better. And I think we've got to spend much more time on the education part starting way back at school, to be honest, and in the meantime, just make it more accessible to to women of all ages. Now, for
1: women and men who are listening on the podcast thinking, oh, you know, I'd really like to get started in investment. I think in my, in my own life, the first way that I got involved in investing was with the share save scheme where you could put money um, aside and end up buying s- shares in your employer because Pearson, who used to own the Financial Times, were, were listed. And that was how I kind of got the bug. Then I realised having just one share um, in one company is, you know, a, r- a rather Not risky, perfect, risky thing sure. to have. And then I found out <laughs> about about trackers and uh, you know spreading the risks and so it, the, but you need my point is like you need an entry point mm. to kind of get into investing in an easy way and then to explore and carry on now for many people nowadays that could be going on a robo advice platform where they can kind of get started quite quickly with a one-size-fits-all investment but what else would you recommend for
3: people who are a bit more sophisticated Well, I think uh, there's a deluge of information at the moment, and that's one of the challenges, of course. There's too many sources. The best way is to, I think, start talking about it with your friends and family. I found that it's still very much a taboo subject to talk about investing at all. But when you do, often people can give you great advice, not the one stock tip Yeah, I would hesitate to add, but just where they've had a great service. I mean, I think that's part of the problem, um, say we've got too much choice out there, um, and it is quite daunting, I think. I'd also, um, lots of people love sort of surfing the internet, as we used to call it, um, and actually just... The taking that first step of googling the terminology that you're not sure about looking into something and then you get deeper and deeper into it um, I've found that with my own children um, who uh, are aged from 10 to 27 that actually they've sometimes approached me and say could you explain this and then often once you've given just a little bit of a uh, idea source this website look up that They'll take it away, um, and they're not all necessarily fascinated by the subject, I might add. So it's just taking that, you know, what is that point of entry for you that might interest you? I've been fascinated as well by how the women's magazines are now covering Mm. these issues. I mean, you do a fantastic job, Claire, in terms of, you know, making sure that there's uh, a lot out there already. But sometimes people don't read the money pages in the newspapers. And actually going into women's magazines, um, there's a new... Um, campaign by Hearst Publications that has a lot of titles, um, Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, and they do content every month, thirty pages of content in called Financially Fabulous, exactly. Yes. Um, and I love the fact that you're trying to make it just an everyday topic. So find what everyone knows what what motively appeals to them, whether it's reading something, researching it on the internet, talking to a friend. Just do the same with money like you would about, you know, eating healthily or taking exercise or where you're going on holiday next.
1: Well, thanks very much there to so Dame Helena Morrissey. You can read our article, Do Women Really Make Better Investors Than Men, in FT Money this weekend or online now at ft.com money. And I'm sure we'll get you back to talk about this and other subjects in the future. Nearly 8 million Britons are in some degree of problem debt. A problem that's often hidden from public view, either through fear or shame, but one that FT Money shone a very large light on last week. I spent a day inside the debt helpline operated by PayPlan, a debt management company in Grantham. And joining me now in the studio is John Fairhurst, PayPlan's executive director, who made the trip possible. Welcome, John. Thank you. Well, firstly, thank you very much for allowing the FT such unfettered access um, into the inner workings of your call centre. Um can you tell our listeners, through your long experience of working in the, the industry, how problem debt has changed over the years?
0: Well, in the recent years, we've seen a real shift in the profile of people who are coming with problems. People today tend to have lower debts and lower incomes than they did perhaps a few years ago. There was a big change around the time of the financial crisis, people's attitudes to using credit went through quite a dramatic change Mm -hmm. and since then people have been much more cautious about borrowing money and I think that's reflected in the clients we see. The clients we see today tend to be the clients who despite their best efforts, despite very careful budgeting, can't help but avoid debt Uh, whereas historically going back 10-15 years particularly people were embracing credit in a way that wasn't perhaps always as responsible as it could be. We see much less of that these days.
1: Some of the most shocking details in my report detailed the problems with public sector debt collection and the way that council tax debts are collected in particular. Why is it such a problem?
0: Well, it's over in recent years, um, the FCA have taken quite an interest in the behaviour of creditors who are collecting money, and that's had quite a significant impact on the behaviour of particularly unsecured creditors who have customers in difficulty. The FCA doesn't regulate government creditors, and so what we've seen is, I guess, less a decline in the standards of Government creditors more an increase in the standards of non-government creditors mm. and it's left it's left people in a situation where they have particularly things like council tax debts of finding that those collection practices are much more um, intrusive and difficult to manage than the collection practices of other creditors.
1: Because I didn't actually know until I came and spent some time with you that if you miss um, one monthly payment on your council tax and then you miss the reminder, you lose the right to pay in monthly installments and the whole year's debt becomes immediately due. Yes. So how a family who could afford <laughs> one month could afford, um, you know, as much as one year. Um, and, and then the bailiffs are very rapid. Yes, and, and,
0: then, and then local authorities tend to start down the enforcement route very quickly. And what that means for a consumer who's struggling on a tight budget, trying to juggle all their commitments, is that they, they overpay that particular commitment because they're scared. And that throws a whole budget out of kilter and that can often be the genesis for a much broader debt problem.
1: And certainly some of the calls I heard people had taken on very, very expensive um, short-term debts in order to bridge those gaps and then of course the charges go up, the interest goes up and they're just trapped um, in this cycle
0: Yeah and I think one of the things you may have observed is that people working on a very tight budget have very low resilience to unexpected costs Mm. and when those unexpected costs occur very poor access to credit so they often feel forced into extremely expensive high cost short term credit, it is the only alternative to not feeding their children very often, it's a very difficult situation to deal with
1: Now, finally, the article stressed the link between problem debt and mental health. Now, can you tell us a bit more about the government's planned breathing space initiative and how this might help?
0: Yeah, I think there is a recognition that um, there is, you know, whilst people don't like to talk about investment, they really don't like to talk about debt problems. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of stigma about it. People feel embarrassed, guilty because they don't talk about it, they think they're the only people with debt problems and they're often very reluctant to seek help. What the government's trying to do with the breathing space commitment is to do just what it says, give people breathing space um, and give people the opportunity to have a 60 day period where creditors cannot and will not contact them, chase them, for, chase them for debts give them some space to get advice think about their options and hopefully come up with a structured way of managing their debt problems rather than responding to the credit who's shouting loudest, perhaps the local authority.
1: Now, one thing that we're waiting to hear, of course, for for the responses to this consultation, is what will be included. Will it be all of the private sector, FCA-regulated creditors, like the banks, the credit card companies, short-term lenders, will it also include councils who are chasing um, debts for housing or even council tax and even HMRC chasing tax bills?
0: Well, we, along with the rest of the debt advice sector, have been as forcibly as we can encouraging government to include government creditors and utility creditors within the breathing space commitments. We're hoping to see some outcome from the consultation which closes at the end of January soon. Um, And we're hoping that that consultation will confirm that the whole range of credits are included. If not, the value will be substantially reduced.
1: Well, we will keep on this story at FT Money. Thank you very much to John Fairhurst from Payplan for coming on the show today. You can read the full report um, that I wrote inside the UK's debt crisis now on ft.com slash money. And we will run a special selection of some of the 250 reader responses we've received to that article in FT Money this week. That's it for the Money Show. If you would like to get in touch with our team of experts, you can email us at money at ft.com or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates at FT Money. We'll be back next
3: week at the usual time. Goodbye.